0: Welcome to A Flow of Words, coming to you live on Scarif Bay Community Radio from the Mount Shannon Arts Festival. It takes a village to raise a writer. The centre of any village is its well. Festival A Flow of Words, a number of writers came together for a series of workshops in April with creative writing tutors and regular A Flow of Words contributors, Anne MacDonald and Francis Browner. We have dipped deep into that well of inspiration and the resulting pieces of poetry and prose form a very special show.
1: This project is supported by Creative Ireland Project Awards. So my name is Anne MacDonald and it's an absolute pleasure to be part of this project. I grew up in a village and after more than 50 years living in cities, I returned to that same village last year and I'm damn glad of the gift of it. And being part of this project has really brought home to me the value of living in a village, and this is the piece um, that I wrote as part of this project. It's called I Wish I'd Known. I wish I'd known that it was written in the stars that I would come from a long line of Labour voters and men of the sea, fed on fish and cabbage grown in patches under nets to stop the caterpillars, and parsley for white sauce picked on Sunday mornings. I wish I'd known it was a gift to be from keepers of hens and pigs and greyhounds, walking dogs in winter's frost, hands wrapped tight in leather leads, the dogs too fast for my young legs, but too slow to win a race in Shelburne Park, their bellies full of soda bread fed by Gran from the kitchen window. She said greyhounds were always too skinny. I wish I'd treasured starry nights when paper chains strung from ceilings every Christmas and apples dunked in ice-cold water for Halloween and attempts to say the family rosary every spring erupting into laughter on the cold, tiled floor, young knees ached with needles and pins. The same knees later creaked in confession boxes, making up sins, hoping for a few Hail Marys, not a decade of the rosary. I wish I'd asked how it was I came from a family of immaculate conceptions. I was found down the back of Granny's sofa and my sister in the aforementioned cabbage patch. And I wish I'd asked how much it said about where I grew up that the door was always on the latch. I really wish I'd pressed between the covers of a book shamrock picked from roadsides with bone-handled knives in March before walking to church to sing to St. Patrick, who was apparently glorious. I never understood the gift of water then, until the well that nearly killed our neighbour was dug, and without warning, gushed to fill the hole, the of Burley Hall and Huey Mullen out, emerging like Poseidon in rolled-up shirt sleeves. I wish I'd known when I was young and angry at the world and all the things I came from and who it was that came before me that it was written in the stars that I would come back here, grow my own parsley for white sauce and cabbages under nets to stop the caterpillars. I'd wish I'd known that it was written in the stars that I was always coming home. Thank you.
2: My name is Marie Studer and I'm from the Shannonside village of Castle Connell. And my poem is called Daily Ritual. I turn to the mall, the shannon lapping the wall. Look out for the herons, flapping recall of scattered Franciscans. Their stones desecrated under a broken line road. Exchange neighbourly salutations admire George's perennial display and baskets being sprinkled both sides of the street by yellow vest volunteers. A few yards ahead, Alder and Ivy control the site of Ginkle's destruction. Rocks for black buried corvettes to look out for invaders beyond the bend of the river. Retreat to the footbridge, a gift of world war. Inhale to the chant of waters cascading over satin limestones, stones. Lichen rails thrusting to the sweet ooze of firs. Its flares skipping through the hills and hedgerows of Clare. Beech and Scots pine stand in military formation. Roots crisscross the trail like a family tree. Children whisper to seaside fairy doors, rousing hearts carved with weathered initials. Swans reign in pairs, rippling grace on green water. Some circle currents downstream. Wings primed, their young bobbing toe like us, mostly making safe passage. I retrace my steps, embracing the joy and grief of where I choose to belong.
3: Hello, my name is Mary Fitzpatrick and I come from uh, West Connemara, or that's where I was born. So you'll probably pick up all that wildness in the words which was written through the ditches of Connemara. So it's called Where I Belong. My linear world, of forest bush, heather and fuchsia contour, stone walled boundary, tapestry array, sprung from my inner sea of tranquillity, Picture balanced in chaos and calm. Seed time, moon phase, and spring tides. Soil prepared for new season planting. Potato ridges perfect. Inky black oblongs. Vetch field crafted by expert spade hand. Turf cutting culture in active mode motion. School out gravel-crunching trek halted, scholarly manner for natural world order. Endless summer days, law of gravity serving knee-graze bleed. Geology enthusiast, rock hunter warrior. Insects dissected, scientific fact tested, clay-tag salad and oven-bread prized. Greenleaf aroma of scythe felled hay. The essence still lingers in the lining of my soul. A slow dust falls to remoteness. Countryside cadence purity. Harvest rolls in, mehel cord kindled. Autumn sun splash, a blush-toned palette. Drifting to gold and bronze biscuit brown. Wild Briar Blackberry yield spice jelly jam crops in hay drawn turf tractured household and livestock provisioned fitted to face and surpass meagre mass north sun dips shifting down south swallows fly scarce daylight clipped Arctic wing visitors across a frosty blue grey headed for a darker solstice midwinter point yuletide sparks sprinkled jai and by time ceremony prayer celebration and hope to face guild coating gloom days Santa shuffle the bits tilting towards basics. Slumber song season, reflection, reason. Ancestral bones engulfed, fallen to physics. Time and centennial buried deep in the clay. Famine skeletons on earth in moonlight. Sketch by a shadowed shaft of light. Conscious note connecting in a cold shiver. Church-going flock at parochial gate greet. Post office and shop and the pub. Fellowship hubs. Home and at home, begotten of the fabric. Mellow, melodic catechism to my sound sense. Where lies the deep set root of your branch? I would forever voice in harmony on the serene west ruggedness where Monument Mauchlear guarded the blue green waters of my sandy cove, where I belong.
4: Hello, my name is Catherine Patience and I'm so happy to have done the course with the ladies um, and to get really supportive feedback has been brilliant. My little poem um, I found quite hard to write um, because essentially I've I've set it in two places where my husband and I lived. My husband passed away last year. Um, So I shall read my poem and hopefully hold it together. Okay, my poem is called Minros. The boat shed, old shed, Owen's accessible extension, seven pitched roofs, you and me plus two, the dogs, cats, and Suvlaki, the milking goat. A field mouse on the stair, long-eared owls and their chicks, a bullfrog in the hall and many, many bats. Kitchen sessions, trad tunes and blues, bonfire smoke, aunts, uncles, cousins and friends, spectacular night skies. Parties and Burns nights, too much whiskey then, and lonesome for Edinburgh's old town, and kitchen sessions, tunes and dancing. Second-hand bookshop on the corner, fresh croissants on Sunday morning, Simpson's maternity hospital, and the miracle of our daughter's long-awaited arrival.
5: Hello, I'm Jill. Um, this is my story, and it's from the 7th of April, and it's called "It Takes a Team." Today, I left my community, a community of colleagues whom I have known for 6,786 days. That's about 19 years in old money. I turned the key, letting myself into the former convent house, now office block, for the last time. The familiar smell of history, darkness, and damp, stroking my nostrils as I walked into the shared hallway where we always gather for gossip and mutual support. My own office is in the corner opposite the Loos, a drafty spot, especially post-Covid, as the windows are left permanently open. The doors creak at regular intervals until one of us reaches breaking point and closes the window against regulations. I chose this office for its view of the neighbouring school grounds, with its signs and sounds of life, as well as for its south-facing aspect. I used to have an office nestled in the corner diagonally opposite. It was much cosier, but the view was of the entrance to the mothership, as we'd call it, home of the chiefs. And I've always simply enjoyed being amongst the Indians. On our side of the house, the offices are all former nuns' cells, many still with sinks and mirrors, with their wardrobes loosely converted into storage cupboards for lever arch files, (coughs) stationery, and board games. Ludo, Snakes and Ladders, and Uno being favorites to bring out to entertain the children in the families we support. When I joined this community in 2003, I didn't think I'd stay this long. At the end of my first day in work, I returned to my red Peugeot 205. I loved this little car, and had driven her from my home place in Northumberland, England, to Scariff in County Clare, with my two daughters, our guinea pig, and a three by three foot trailer. My dad had found her in the small ads and had brought me out to the garage to organise my first big loan and to set me on the path to independent adulthood. Little did I know that this would be his final act of guidance in my life. When I returned to my car at the end of day one, I found a note on my dashboard. It read, this is a private car park, can you not read? my face flushed with a curious mixture of anger, shame and pure upset as I wondered how this note got inside my car. The CEO was in the freshly polished lobby when I went in to tell someone what had happened. He laughed as he admitted, having picked the lock of my precious Peugeot, Valio locks notoriously easy to pick, he'd scoffed without batting an eyelid. You need to give your car details to Patricia on the front desk so that everyone knows whose car is whose. I felt like a shamed child, like I was the one who'd been in the wrong. This feeling of incongruence was mirrored by the mismatch of the gleaming surface of checkered tiles on the floor and walls with flaking plaster like psoriasis on an ailing limb. The sound of my sniffing and the irregular breathing rhythm that accompanies hot, salty tears accompanied me as I drove home. Familiar feelings of humiliation lay heavy in my gut. We had all suffered back in the day at the hands of the Sisters of Mercy, who had been charged with the task of educating us girls in the convent I had attended in a northern market town in England. I cried all the way home, like I had on many a phone call with my mother when I was away at school, begging her to let me come back, to let me leave that wretched place. My dad was in the armed forces and we moved every four years, so I had to go to boarding school. Apparently, it offered me stability. For a while, I was sure I would leave work. The incident with the note on my dashboard was just one of a series of peculiar events that seemed to happen in the early days. And yet I went back the next day, and the next day after that. 19 years and three cars later, I'm moving on. The last two days have been emotional. Yesterday we all went for lunch to the Elm Café in Ennis. We had the long table by the bathroom door and a smaller table to the side. There were 17 of us, bringing our energy and emotions to the space that we shared with others. Families, groups of work colleagues, couples, friends, all chattering about their own lives. In the past, I had been the one who'd write a little rhyming ditty for someone's leaving do, or maybe a tune to sing along to with my guitar. I've done ditties to the tunes of Oh Danny Boy, Money, 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 Old MacDonald, and Patricia the Stripper. For the past few weeks, I've pondered how best to mark the ending of my time served. Time spent in families' homes, listening to their stories, comforting them in their struggles. A position of privilege, as well as uncertainty and stress at times. The context of social work and its related professions is a challenging one, and the relationships you carve out with your colleagues determine whether you sink or swim in the tide of emotions that hit you on a daily basis. I settled on an ode to celebrate my colleagues and to thank them for lifting me up when I was down, for knowing my smile and my frown, for accepting me, warts and all. Amongst the chatter of strangers, I stood tall, took a breath, and gently cleared my throat. Reciting my ode, I looked into the salt filled eyes of my colleagues, the tear filled eyes of my colleagues, my community, this family of strong, funny, generous women who have raised me for the last 19 years. Now, when I ask myself, why did you stay so long? The answer comes with ease. I stayed so that I could experience the feeling of having belonged.
6: Celia Donoghue. I've lived in Clare for a long time although I'm originally from Dublin and uh, this piece is based on a weekend I spent here in Mount Shannon about 20 years ago. It's called The Rally. The lake was like glass. Mount Shannon gleamed in the sunlight. The reception committee standing on the pier waved us into the harbour to tie up against another boat we were part of the seventy-strong flotilla of cruisers, barges, yachts, and speedboats in this year's Loch Derg rally. It was like a carpet of boats stretching from one side of the other, to the, of the harbour to the other, flags flapping along with the seagulls. Our tying-up technique was discreetly supervised before introductions were made to port and starboard. I gradually learned the right terms to use. And how to walk across a boat. When there are three between you and dry land, you learn the right etiquette. Call out permission to board and gently go round by the bow, not the stern, especially if it's after a night in the pub. By evening, the pop up community had settled in. The smell of sizzling sausages wafted through the air from the communal barbecue on the quay. Our boat, Smile, was relatively small. So we were summoned for drinks to our bigger neighbours, clambering over the ropes with glasses and bottle in hand. And so began a wonderful two days in Mount Shannon. We were new members of the rally, but we heard endless tales of previous rally adventures. People were defined by their boat names. We were the couple from Smile. Our son talked of the big boys on Skyline we would round up the girls from Lady Anne or Regina at bedtime. The men made endless boat talk about engines, bow thrusters, navigation aids, radars. Each of our children gravitated to a different social circle, disappearing into boats or sloping off to the ashlar. They returned for food, of course, and I was happy to be the homemaker in between reading and swimming. A trip to the shop took hours as you chatted with every rally member on the way. The grocery selection in Keynes was limited, but it was less of a walk than the garage. Without a car, we got to know every inch of the main street from the grandly named Mount Shannon Hotel, a glorified pub with good chips, to the colourful holiday houses with the downstairs bedrooms. Outside of the rally, we knew the village as small, quiet quaint for those two days it was like your local shopping centre on christmas eve disaster nearly struck on the second morning i realized we hadn't seen our six-year-old for a few hours we checked the usual boats the new friends the blue flag beach no sign panic grew as i peered into the deep dark water between each boat The committee was alerted and instantly the tannoy rang out. Has anyone seen a little boy, dark hair, wearing shorts? Was his life jacket on him, they asked me. That was the cardinal rule for all children. Yes, I hope so, omitting that he often discarded it. Within minutes, the whole boating village was searching for our little boy. Half an hour of torture later, he came into view, strolling along the pier, sporting the orange life jacket dwarfed by his companions. "'I just went with the lads up to the park,' he protested. I could see him there, running around the maze, the little feet determined to keep up with the big boys. He had found his tribe. And so had we. Life in the country, after moving from a suburban estate in Dublin, was still unfamiliar. We were destined to be blow-ins for a long time.' But the boating community gave us an instant sense of belonging. That's where we made our friends for life, both on and off water, through the long winters, looking forward to another season. Soon we knew all of the stopping places around Loch Derg. Mount Shannon, Scariff, Terryglass, Drummoneer. When you flash through them by car, they're just small villages along the way. Arrive by boat, they're each a small world, drawing you in, making you welcome. My
0: name is Roisin Bugler and I'm from Mount Shannon and my poem is set in a very specific year, a year that many of us hold in our memories, 1990, and it was the summer I started work in Keynes, who um, own this establishment here so it's it's a great Monshannon establishment and um, my poem is called Green Summer. Ole, Ole Ole Intercert complete and perhaps a little green, the summer stretched out ahead. I became gainfully employed in Keynes, shop and pub, petrol pump, undertakers, and information hub of village goings on. Got to know the local clientele, old and young, visitors as well. Mountains of Galty yellow-crumbed ham, ripe tomatoes, nine-inch nails, Tom Turner's home-grown spuds covered in cool soil, all weighed imperially on the same triangular scales. Busy Fridays, when cannies of Clunlara's truck delivered homestead, bringing value home. I stacked the shelves with marrow fats and spam, Heinz coleslaw in a can. Packets of Noor soup, Daz and Life by Soap predicted the political vote of those who bought Barry's tea or Lyons, the Indo or the press. The Irish Times, a different class. (laughs) Farmers, sons and neighbours brought country women down from hills to collect pensions, gather news and messages. From where I sat behind the till, I spied customers come down the hall. Some I could hear before I saw, like the clip, clip of Sonny Farrell's black torn stick. How are you today, Sonny? Well, Crater, I've a pain running the length of me leg. By the way, store, that cake of bread you sold me last week, it was pure green. We never mentioned best befores. Mr. Smythe, with booming tones and baking bowls, to each be filled with rashers, sausages, tea and eggs for guests to his holiday homes. His brother, Major Graham, more quietly spoken, would sit at the bar, sipping, on an amber glass, reminiscing. Joked that he was on his last leg, the other lost in some war, somewhere. So he said, maybe he was pulling mine. The evening of June 25th, Jack's army marched on to an Italian pitch. At the counter, a small band of wise men sat. Bill, dusty, thirsty, from a long day of lifting stones. Peter popped in for a gin on his way back home. And June to September, boat resident John. At the full-time deadlocked whistle, penalties for Packy Bonner and the boys in green. The men retreated to the sitting room to view... The premise's only TV set. To have it in the bar would only disturb the chat. On a Sony 32-inch screen, Dave O'Leary placed the ball and faced a twitchy, mustachioed Romanian goalie. Peter, Bill and John slipped to the edges of their seats, gripped their drinks. The nation held its breath. Yes! We reeled around the sitting room, swooned in a thick, sweet Afton haze. Olé, 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 olé. Sudden experts on the beautiful game. And though we didn't shake them up to win the World Cup, it truly was a pure green Irish summer in Mount Shannon.
7: (laughs) Hello. My name is Anne Kenny, and my little piece is a village love. Um, I hope you enjoy it. It's uh, and you get a picture of the physical village, but even more importantly, the people who lived and had, you know, children and adults who, in a normal day, just live their lives in a village. Uh, Perhaps a village in West Clare, but could be anywhere. And a village where East maybe meets West. Village love. I love you as I never loved before. When first I saw you on the village green come to me. I was strong, they said. Well at least for a girl. I manoeuvred the potato sacks to the side of the van where he could easily hoist them over his shoulder. Mrs Daly had left the weather-beaten teak door ajar. I watched him disappear down the side entrance to our shop. I would later discover this was called the Bowway. I prayed Mrs Daly would delay my father for as long as possible. Hopefully it would take an age for the bartering of potatoes he would supply and the groceries he would receive from her. Peering to the side windows of our bottle green van, I could see up and down both sides of the street. Children laughed and cried and fought and played. Occasionally, farmers on the way to the creamery shoo them away from the rattling milk tanks. Puff of blue-spoke fumes danced shapes in the air as the TVO tractors choked their way noisily to the top of the village. Paddy Jackie parked the bicycles he had repaired on the footpath. Meditatively, if a little grumpily, he lifted the punctured bicycles that were leaning against the peeling ochre walls of his garage, took them in to be repaired. I was entertained by it all. was the longing of my Mills and Boone's state of mind, was not satisfied. A determined mother marched three sullen teenagers down the street to dinny Pads for the world's best value for money, monk-style shorter-than-short haircuts twin blonde girls with impossibly perfect wrinkles skipped from Joe Sack's shop licking ice cream wafer their mothers fussed over their clothes but smiled kindly as she's passed our van Willie Longworth competed furiously for customers with the rival Ryan Butcher. Judging from the queue to Willie's stall, he was victorious today. I could hear him cry out, best value, best meat cuts, should the nuns in the convent will only buy from me. All interesting, but not the reason I had volunteered to help my father in the village today or that day indeed St. church bells chimed noon my father would soon return picking up my brother's boots I jumped out of the van headed for Billy the Cobblers crossing the street I heard Jimmy's laughter sure enough I could see him at the far end of the green. My pounding heart and dizzy legs lost courage. I continued in the opposite direction towards the repair shop. Be with you in a minute, was Billy's reply at the chime of the doorbell as I entered. He stopped hammering and took a quick look at the boots I gave him. Two new heels. I'll have them for you next Saturday. Then he added, Mary, would you give these to young Jimmy on your way home? He needs them for tonight's dance. Nodding, I took the leather shoes. Hoping Billy wouldn't notice my burning, flushed face. Intoxicated by the smell of Jimmy's leather shoes, courage seeped back into my veins. I had a calling card now. Minutes later, I had reached that green. Here are your shoes, Jimmy. I kindly handed them to him. I might see you at the dance tonight. Thanks. You will indeed. He cheerfully replied and save the first dance for me. Sure I will. I smiled. I crossed the street and returned to the van. You look like the cat that got the cream, my father noticed as he started up the engine.
8: my name is Carol McNamara and my piece is called Coming Home 1972 I was 13 when I first came home full of English accent platform shoes and misconceptions about what life would be like there born of Irish parents who longed for home I had believed from a young age that going to live there would be utopia And it almost was. But it was not without its challenges. The intrusion of an unwanted visitor in my sleeping quarters being the first. A bloody bat, I mean, yes, the protected type now, flew through the open window from a copse of pine trees to check out the new kid in town. On that still September night, I awoke to the creepy fluttering of bat wings above my head. Up until that point, and being a townie, I had only ever seen bats depicted as vampires in horror films. But this was an up-close and personal experience that nearly finished me off. To quell my blood-curdling screams, my cousin disposed of the innocent creature. There was a hurley involved. Don't go there. This is not the time for animal rights. Of course it wasn't right. But it was the 1970s where lots of things were not right. The postmistress, who also lived in this house, drowned me with holy water, gave me me rosary beads and told me to go back to sleep. I have to say it took a while for me to dry out sufficiently to sleep. (laughs) Then there was the question of my posh accent. I was imitated mercilessly in those early months. The boys at school said I would have to lose it, but attempts at my doing so resulted in me sounding like one of Darby O'Gill's little people, so I abandoned that. But if I was a plastic paddy, then my accent was the only thing plastic about me. I engaged in the local sports of camogie, badly, and smoking, which I proved to be very good at. (laughs) About camogie, I felt a terror from the moment I ran onto the pitch, which endured up to the moment I hobbled off, knuckles bleeding usually called ashore by a despairing coach. I was pure useless at it. But smoking, well, that was a different kettle of fish. Smoking was my first love. I was introduced to smoking on the bus to school in my very first week back home. We travelled eight miles to our school in Tuller, along with the day-old chicks on the Portumna limerick bus, And en route, there was ample time for a good smoke with my new friends in the back seat. Cigarettes were drawn from a box that bore a photo of clean waterfalls in a green glade. Surely these would be good for you, I innocently thought. And so began an addiction that took 40 years to overcome. My next love was boys I hadn't really known any that were not related to me until then, so that was intriguing. To meet up with that species outside of school, we, the village girls, would beg our fathers to drive us to the cinema in Tulla. If you were lucky enough to get a lift there, all you needed was the price of admission, a bag of Tato's, they were new to me, too. And a bottle of red lemonade, obviously along with a supply of cigarettes sold loose locally at two pence each. The films shown were incidental. All sex scenes were cut with some scissors in Burns's kitchen. It did not matter to us. We were in the parterre. Fifty years on... And I can still smell the acrid fumes from Super Sur gas heaters, the sweet smell of Maggie O'Sullivan's soda bread and the slops from the Guinness taps in Mike Slattery's bar. I can hear Mrs. Keegan tapping out the steps to a real set played by the Kaley band on her flagged floor and the core cacophony from the merger of crows at sunset. I can see the harsh lighting from central pendant hundred watt bulbs in kitchens flicked on at the dimming of the day, but on June evenings it was bright there until 11 o'clock. I remember the welcome, still, the feelings of belonging. Fifty years, a mere millisecond in the story of this place I call home. ah. Lubondiga Abu.
9: Hi, I'm Frances Browner, and I actually got the idea for this poem in Mount Shannon at Angela Carr's Poetry Workshop during the Festival of the Barges 2019, and the theme was Roots and Wings. So this is called Wild Geese. We all used to gather in the wild geese, our home away from home. Had we grown wings and flown, or were some of us forced to take flight? Many were routed to the bar, on the same seat every night, looking out onto Broadway. There were no theatres here, no neon lights, only a wide road and a park on the opposite side, red brick apartment blocks to the left and right. We were a family of sorts, our homeland binding us together, laughter, crack, banter. There was despair too, in some eyes, little spoken of, unless at four o'clock in the morning, when the bar was quiet, only one or two left. That's when the stories came spinning, when loneliness set in, and relationships slung together, with hope. We got married young, an older Irish lady told me, because we wanted to make a home, away from home.
10: Hello, I'm Elizabeth Ryan, and this is Blue Plaques. There are no blue plaques in our village, no Heaney or Shackleton or Yeats to commemorate. A notable event is the starter motor going in Tom Barry's car, or a bellowing bullock lodged in a bog drain, or the milk lorry clipping one of the granite bridges and five fellows coming out from the council to inspect it. The stone bulk of the mill is what you notice first. At one time it was a tannery that reeked of rotting flesh. In another life, a whiskey distillery and much more fragrant until Father Matthew put an end to it. In 1965, it was where Frank Lynch had his oats rolled, but they didn't put up a blue plaque for that. Every winter, Greenland geese gather in the Shannon Meadows. Garrulous and self-congratulatory, they settle into the space where drumming of snipe, grating of corncrake, and lonesome trill of curlew once filled the summer air. Corn crakes and curlews are ghosts now, but they don't erect blue plaques for that. There is no plaque to the jowler, murdered on a December December night by a young man who did not like the look of him. Given this young man's predilection for lighting fires in the middle of the road, it is assumed that his judgment was questionable. Judgments can be questioned, and worth is subjective. What value do you put on the place where you learned to walk, where you were taught to fish, where Noel Kelly lit a bonfire for you on your wedding day? In this village, not noted for its noteworthiness, every memory is its own blue plaque.
0: Listening to Anne MacDonald, I Wish I'd Known, Marie Studer, Daily Ritual, Mary Fitzpatrick, Where I Belong, Catherine Patience, Mean Ross, Jill Moses, It Takes a Team. Celia Dunneu The Rally, Roisin Bugler, Green Summer, Anne Kenny, Village Love, Carl McNamara, Coming Home, 1972, Francis Browner, wild geese and elizabeth rhine blue plaques the music you have heard was lorena mckinnon come by the hills dolores kane caledonia the furies when you were sweet 16 and martin hayes the humors Tulla" and last night's fun Thank you to Anne Macdonald and to Francis Browner for facilitating these workshops, to Creative Ireland for supporting the initiative, to Jim Luke and the team at Scarab Bay Community Radio, to our audience and listeners, and a very special word of thanks to, to par- the participants who have shared their words and their stories on the communities that have shaped them. Um, we're going to start up the Writers Moon uh, Writers Workshop again shortly, so anyone who's interested in joining locally, uh, get in touch on a flow of words at com. Thank you for listening to A Flow of Words.